A reading from the book of Exodus 20, 12 through 17. Honor your father and your mother so that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not commit murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or male or female slave or ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. The word of God for the people of God. As we prepare for this morning's sermon, I invite you to pray with and for me. Let us pray. Oh God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Oh God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. This is going to date me a little bit. I've realized lately that every single one of our youth and several of our college students were born in the new millennium. But I've been thinking a lot about the movie The Truman Show. Do you know the movie The Truman Show? It's a great movie. Jim Carrey stars as the star of a show based on his life, only he doesn't know that he's in the show. There are cameras everywhere. They track his every move. And people all over the country tune in to continually follow his life, watch him live and love and struggle. It's sort of a hyper-reality show. I mentioned this show, uh, this movie, partly because it's a great movie. If you've not seen it, you should watch it. But also because it seems to me that there are people out there who are pretty sure that that movie stars them and not Jim Carrey. I don't mean that there are a lot of people out there who are pretty sure they're being continually filmed. I mean, there are tons of people who act as if they are. You know anybody like that? Of course you don't know anybody like that. Nobody acts like that. Yes, we do. We live in a performance society. And it's fine, I guess, as long as that's appropriately relative. The problem comes when we assume that everything we encounter was put there for us. More precisely for me. For each of us. The thing exists because I'm supposed to have it. My surroundings are my surroundings. And everybody else is just a supporting player. It's a real problem. Though I don't think it's a new problem for the world, nor for the church. I hope that you will forgive me this early in the morning for bringing some theology into the sermon, but I'm going to do it. The German-Jewish theologian Martin Buber wrote a book in 1923 called I and Thou. I and thou. And his idea is that there are two kinds of relationships in the world. There are I and thou relationships, and there are I and it relationships. You can sort of see where he's going just by the words that he uses. I and it relationships are things that we use or that we experience. You have an I-it relationship with a car or a hairbrush or a vacation. An I and thou relationship is just that, a relationship where there is mutuality, where we share in something, where we honor one another as made in the image of God. On my best days, I have I and thou relationships with my spouse and my friends and my children, with each of you. 
And Martin Buber says that in those relationships, we are brought into relationship with God, who is, he says, the eternal vow. This is great, but we get into trouble when we confuse I and thou relationships and I and it relationships. Have you heard the line, God created us to use things and love people, and here we've gone and loved things and used people? It's trite, but like many things that are trite, it happens to have the ring of truth with it. When we forget that we are not, each of us, the stars of our own show, people start to be things for us to use, means to an end, and people become expendable, just like last month's toothbrush. Now, it's obvious, I hope. I'm not saying anything revolutionary here. It's just that even though we know this to be true, all of us, there are forces out there who will spend all of their time trying to get you to believe your own hype. The professional world is one of these places. The career ladder is an awfully alluring thing, and if you aren't careful, you're going to start believing that only you can solve a problem. Only you have the right expertise. Only you really can see what's going on here. That kind of deal is so dangerous. It is deadly to relationship. Because you will start to believe stubbornly that maybe you are the exception. Maybe life really is all about you. That's where I find Scripture to be particularly helpful, at least for me. I mean, if there ever were a book written to remind each, of our, uh, remind each of us of our place in the universe, in particular, to remind us that we are not at the top, well, that book is the Bible. That's sort of the whole idea behind the Bible. And it's the idea behind the Ten Commandments, which we've been studying over the course of the last several weeks. Now, sometimes we see this list of Ten Commandments as a list of prohibitions, Kind of a buzzkill. But that's not it at all. I mean, I want you to listen again to the commandments that we read this morning. I'm going to read them again. And I don't want you to listen just, figure it, just to figure out what God doesn't want you to do. I want you to listen to them and think to yourself, even if we hadn't received these commandments on the tablets, even if God didn't particularly care, would they be a good idea to break? Listen, listen. Honor your father and mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not cover, covet your neighbor's wife or male or female slave or ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. I mean, objectively, these are helpful things. These things are helpful as we seek to live lives in our most authentic way possible by remembering our place in the universe beloved as a child of God but one of many who are beloved by God which at the end of the day is everybody the commandments are a way of remembering that it's not all about you and helping you to have I and thou relationships rather than I and it relationships with other people I mean, you look at these commandments specifically. Honor your father and mother. I sometimes joke about this commandment that while it may be difficult, at least it doesn't say anything about your in-laws. 
I love my in-laws. But the truth is this, this commandment isn't just about your parents. If your parents were abusive to you, for instance, this commandment is not about sucking it up and re-entering that abuse. This commandment is about honoring those who've come before you, who set the table at which you currently sit, the saints on whose shoulders we stand, each of us, because life is not a play and you are not the star. You are part of a long line of people. And if you are to remember that it is not all about you, you need to remember where you fall in that line. Someplace, but not at the very beginning. Honor your father and mother. Or the commandment not to murder. That's a helpful commandment, I think. It's not just there to prevent a bloodbath. Jesus famously said that whenever you hate somebody, you commit murder in your heart. And oh, I wish he hadn't said that. It reminds me that for as much as I like to, you know, feel better than everybody else, morally superior than other people, when I privilege myself above others in any way at all, I am committing murder, seeing the other as an it rather than a thou. The same is true for adultery, maybe more so. And for stealing and lying and coveting, it all boils down to remember that this, none of this, is all about you. And we know this. We're people of the golden rule that comes from Scripture. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. It's a good rule. Only problem is we sometimes misunderstand it. We sometimes think that do unto others as you would have them do unto you is about being nice to other people so they will be nice back. And that's not it at all. The golden rule is not some sort of I scratch your back, you scratch mine kind of scheme. The golden rule at its heart is all about empathy, about love about recognizing the relationship that we have as people, each made in God's image. And the only way to properly recognize that is to get yourself out of the driver's seat, worry less about your own preferences, certainly as it relates to church, and remember that what you desire may not actually be what God desires. And if that's the case, we probably ought to do everything we can to figure out what God desires and to do that, or our worship is empty and our offerings are profane. That is not my language. It comes straight from Scripture. Now, this kind of thinking may sound obvious, but when you live into it, it will reframe everything. I mean everything. Maybe you saw the remarkable interview this week between the journalist Anderson Cooper and the comedian Stephen Colbert. That's enough to make me wish I had a screen in here. I could show it to you. I'd just show it and sit down. You wouldn't have to listen to me. Stephen Colbert happens to be a remarkably devout follower of Jesus. And he speaks of it. And I want to quote this so I get it right. He talks about, quote, being grateful for the thing I most wish hadn't happened. Being grateful for the thing I most wish hadn't happened. 
When Stephen Colbert was a young boy, around the age of 10, two of his brothers and his father were killed in a plane crash. That kind of tragedy stays with a person. Now, I don't think God causes tragedy. I don't think Stephen Colbert would tell you that he thinks that God causes tragedy either. But the pain that he experienced in that event and that I am certain he experiences still changed him. It helped him to understand that, ironically for Stephen Colbert, he is not the star of his own show. I want to read to you what he said about the pain that he experienced and experiences still. He said, what do you get from loss? You get the awareness of other people's loss, which allows you to connect with that other person, which allows you to love more deeply and to understand what it's like to be a human being if it's true that all humans suffer. At a young age, he says, I suffered something so that by the time I was in serious relationships in my life with friends or with my wife or with my children, I'm understanding that everyone is suffering. And however imperfectly, acknowledge their suffering and to connect with them and love them in a deep way that not only accepts that all of us suffer, but makes us grateful that we have suffered so that we know the suffering of other people. I have a friend, a pastor, who lost his son nine years ago to murder. This week I shared that interview on my Facebook page. I'll make sure to link to it in my weekly email so that you can watch it if you haven't already. It's remarkable. And as I shared that interview, my friend wrote me a note to thank me for sharing the interview with him. And he said, this pastor, this pastor with formal theological training said, I have struggled to put into words how I feel about the pain of the murder of my son and how it has changed me, but Stephen Colbert articulates it perfectly. Friends, I will add that I pray that you never have to experience that kind of pain. But I also pray that you do not stand so oblivious to that kind of pain, nor that you try to shield your children so from pain, that you miss the profound and mystical ways that pain connects us to one another by disabusing us of the notion that each of us is the star of our own show. The theologian Howard Thurman says it this way, if I hear the sound of the genuine in me and you see the genuine in you, I can go down in myself and end up in you. As a person of faith, as a Christian, I believe that the sound of the genuine is the voice of the one in whose image each of us is made, Almighty God. The only way to hear that voice, which is often still and small is to quiet yourself just long enough, just for a minute, if that's all you can muster, so that God can speak. In my experience, it's the only way. And the trick to knowing if it is God and not your own need to be God that is speaking is that the still small voice calls you out 
of yourself. Towards being more loving and generous and faithful and simple and prayerful. It calls you to leave everything else to God. In other words, if that voice sends you out, it's probably God. But if that voice confirms your own preferences, well, it strikes me that if they gave awards for rationalizing our own preferences, the human race would like sweep the whole show. It is amazing the ways in which we rationalize. I mean, we rationalize breaking the Ten Commandments. I mean, I'll speak for my own generation here. We blame the generation or two before us often instead of honoring those who've come before. We push the definition of adultery right up to its breaking point, arguing over what the definition of the word is, is. We justify stealing is not a big deal. I mean, these are huge companies and they had it coming. We act like a lie being white keeps it from being a real lie. Like not acting on lust keeps it from being lust. Like protecting our social status so our kids won't get made fun of keeps it from being uh, coveting. And if you will permit me to meddle for just one more minute, an unwillingness to move beyond our own comfort, our own preferences, keeps us from sharing the very faith that each of us claims to hold dear. Ironically, maybe, it is in remembering that it is not all about us that we are sent out to share our faith with others. Not because Christianity is supposed to be about beating people over the head with Bibles. I have welts on the back of my head from being hit with Bibles. It's not a helpful tactic. But we're sent because remembering the one who it is all about helps you get over your own stuff, your own church hurt. Do you know that phrase, church hurt? Lots of people walk into my office and have church hurt. It is remembering that it is about God that helps us to move on, to move beyond our own worry that people are going to judge each of us harshly for sharing our faith, which really is the root of our problems with evangelism, with sharing our faith with others. I mean, of course, we don't want to be hateful or rude or fundamentalist when we share our faith. But the way to avoid being hateful or rude or fundamentalist when we share our faith is not to keep it to ourselves. The way to avoid these things is to share our faith without being hateful or rude or fundamentalist. I could go on. I think I won't. I'm afraid if I keep going, I'm going to start indicting myself in public. And you will think less of the preacher because I don't have it all figured out either. There's real temptation for the person in the funny clothes in the big pulpit who opens the Bible every week and brings you a word from the Lord to believe his own hype. So let me end this way. Let me just ask this. I just wonder. How is your own ego getting in the way of your faithfulness to God.
How's your own ego getting in the way of your faithfulness to God? How are your own preferences getting in the way? I want to acknowledge that is a really, really, really hard question. I suspect that it is a question that cuts so deep that you are only going to be able to answer it silently, deep within the chambers of your own heart. If you'd like to have conversation, know that Joya and I would love to talk with you. This is tough stuff, real stuff. I mean, I guess here at the end, all I'm trying to say, all I really want to ask, all we can learn from the Ten Commandments is, sure, we we say it's not all about us. But do we really believe it? I want to believe it. Dear God, help us to believe it. In the name of the Creator and the Christ and the Holy Spirit. Amen.